Hi, and welcome to the CE Pro Podcast. I'm Arlen Schweiger, Executive Editor. When most people think of the man in black, Johnny Cash's name comes to mind. But for those of us in the custom electronics industry, that description can only go to Joel Silver, a rock star home video expert and founder of the Imaging Science Foundation. So when we wanted to find out about the latest in 8K, HDR, Ultra Blu-ray, and other home video trends, who better to call than Joel? Joel Silver, president and founder of the Imaging Science Foundation. Thanks for being on the CE Pro podcast with us. I appreciate it. It's a good break from lockdown, and it gets me away from a tough writing task that I've been involved in since November, and we'll talk more about that later. But uh, we're putting in long days on the PC on a new course that we'll talk about in a little while. Sounds good. Well, Joel, you know, video system design and calibration, it's a, you know, it's a wide ranging topic, but just to start off, um, you know, what should integrators be providing their customers as a baseline for video installs? And what would you say are, are some of the big challenges that they're typically faced with? Well, one of the biggest challenges we have right now is the infrastructure in the home for moving signals around. And what's very frustrating for me is seeing builders just abandon anything wired and just saying, I'll put in a few wireless hotspots and we'll go from there. And that's not our way. One of our earlier mentors, a gentleman by the name of Nicholas Negroponte, wrote a landmark book called Being Digital, I quote all the time. And his view on bandwidth was simple. And he ran the MIT Media Lab, pretty quick study guy. He said, you know, if it's in motion and it's moving, use bandwidth. If it's on a shelf, you plug it in don't waste the bandwidth. And nowadays with what we're seeing with home entertainment, with the real rise in streaming last year, and now the true ascendancy of streaming with people watching enormous amounts of series and the post-production crisis is going to happen because the amount of new products that were video products coming to market, the programs that are now frozen in post, my post-production guys are panicked. They know they're looking at long days when they get back because they're under pressure to deliver new content and people are under pressure to just catch up with what's happening. I don't ever remember a time when I was struggling to find the time to watch quality content. And for me to sit here and say that, uh, you know, I'm streaming and binging and enjoying, but you put together high dynamic range in Dolby Vision or good HDR 10 and wide color gamut, and you're watching on a slightly smaller screen, streaming is entertaining. And if it's entertaining enough where I'm not picking apart the bandwidth issues and just enjoying the content, it's pretty damn good. I mean, a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have admitted publicly I'm watching a stream, but uh, we've got some good looking content. And the volume of people watching Netflix and Amazon and all the others right now, between Disney Plus, I mean, we just did a little study on this. We gave up counting at 271 streaming services between, you know, the horsey set and the shooting set and anything you could think of as a niche market for streaming. And right now, we're just frozen in post. So my New York guys, my LA guys, they're just panicked. They can't get back to work and there's work to do. So getting the infrastructure in place to deliver good signal and getting the HDMI infrastructure in place is enough of a panic where we actually formed the new CDA committee just for HDMI infrastructure for HDMI system design and verification because uh, I think if you pose a question to any integrator what has burned the most hours in the past three years and caused you to go back to customers houses enough where you know the way you don't need GPS it's HDMI failures and there's been no reason for it this bandwidth Roadmap was laid out in 2012, and most people ignored it. The uh, top producers did not. 
One of the other reasons people ignored it is it takes, you know, the better part of $500,000 to $550,000 to build an HDMI test lab. So this is not for the faint of heart, and very few companies that we deal with have their own lab. But those very are true. rock solid product. Now, I know uh, Bob Archer, senior editor of CE Pro, he's with us, and he sat in on a recent webinar that you gave. Bob, I know you wanted to talk to Joel a bit about that. Yes, uh, thank you, Arlen. Joel, supporting uh, the theme of your recent webinar, how can integrators build upon those baseline services to add documental revenue streams uh, to their businesses? Well, the first thing we're seeing is testing the verification of the little wireless you have to do and testing the verification of good bandwidth connectivity to every place it's going to be watched and then maintaining it from time to time. But uh, we've got simple things like software and firmware updates for components that people just don't want to do. Uh, a number of my clients, when they see a little option, do you wish to upgrade your firmware? The answer is no, because it works just fine. And they remember when they upgraded Windows once and then the printer didn't work. Or they couldn't get online. Uh, a few of the TV manufacturers we work with now are solving the problem. It's going to tell you when you turn the TV set off. When you turn this off, it's going to update. We're not going to give them a choice. But there's so much legacy product out there that you know, just getting into the home making sure everything's automated properly, making sure things are in the right sequence, making sure firmware updates are there, recalibrating the video, because a lot of video systems will age. Anything with a projector, you should be checking it from time to time. Your flat panels, you should at least be checking it, you know, six months or a year out, and then it'll get more stable than it used to be. But, you know, just telling a customer point blank, you know, like uh, Governor Schwarzenegger, I'll be back. And of course, we had one client that said, you're going to charge me? I said, you can count on it but I'll be back and everything will work just fine. So we're in charge of the infrastructure. We wanna make sure that when you press play, it is the signal they're supposed to be getting. And one of our frustrations right now is I've got a handful of manufacturers that when you do get an HDR program, put a flag up on screen. It says Dolby Vision or HDR and some it's buried menus. So we've gone into numerous homes and uh, found that there is no HDR because either the Netflix subscription hasn't been updated or the TV is not being configured or the input's not being configured or any one of a number of things, including a cable has set it up. Or if you're dealing with Dolby Vision, it went into low latency mode, which is you know showing Dolby actually knows what they're doing in the home. They come across a situation where the signal is not gonna get to the TV full strength. They've got a, uh, Plan B, it's not quite what you want, but it's still going to connect with HDR, but it won't be doing the magic that Dolby Vision could do. So we've got a lot of work to do and explaining to people that these are new things. These are fun things. These are things you want and that we're just warming up as there's more to come and I'll be back when I can upgrade sports and I'll be back when I can make the picture look better yet with more color and more bit depth. And just using words like bit depth is kind of scary. People don't get it. You've got to be able to define it in ways they understand. And I've never been as excited about TV innovations as I have been over the past two to three years. We finally have things that are demonstrably superior and you're seeing it. Uh, have you seen anything streaming in HDR that you found stunning for HDR? As a matter of fact, I saw that new Chris Hemsworth <laughs> movie over the weekend, and I thought it looked pretty good. Um, well, I, watched it, I watched it last night, but I freaked out. I said, maybe it was a little violent. So that's yeah. the point. <laughs> but yeah, it actually looked really good. Sound yes. was decent. And let's yes. touch on sound for a second. Um, 
even though we don't have fully featured HDMI version 2.1 yet, a big part of that was eARC, the audio reverse channel, reverse audio, audio return channel, whatever you want to call it, there's now an E in front of it for enhanced, which means it might work. But we finally got to the point now where that reverse audio is a necessity of life because I've got to get the surround out of the TV into my audio system running backwards. And we didn't take it seriously for a while. And with the original one, a lot of guys bypassed it because it was buggy. The reason the eARC is out before the rest of the HDMI features is we need it today. And it's there. So Joel, you people, Joel do you find that, that? Joel, do you find that certain streaming services uh, look better than others, or does it depend mostly on, on the content itself? Well, not just services. Within each service, you've got a huge variation in content. And even if you look at a particular brand, feature, encoding, whatever the format's going to be, it's very much like audio. When you're looking at you know, multiple audio systems and you're trying to figure out which are the toolkits to make the audio is better, and the answer is none of the above. It depends upon the team making the movie, the post house putting it together, and whether someone cares enough to make sure it looks good and sounds good in the home. So all the toolkits out there right now, whether you're dealing with SL1 or HDR10 or HDR10 Plus or Dolby, they're all fantastic in the right hands. And as we've all seen, from every format we've ever had, this is labor dependent, talent dependent. And unfortunately, even if the labor and the talent is there, it's budget dependent. Because when I have a post guy telling me I need five more days, and he says, I need it on Tuesday. No, next Tuesday, they go, no, it's live Tuesday. We can't have that, but that's what happens. So sometimes the talent's there, but the budget's not. So you'll see it on screen and you'll hear it in your audio system. So it's always talent dependent. We've had that in every entertainment format we've ever had. So that, that makes it a little rough because sometimes you know, I'm looking for demo material to find something that looks good and sounds good and has enough bandwidth. I mean, I'm even finding it with 4K HDR discs and I'm a disc fan. I'm sorry, I will get up and down and uh, looking at some of the download services we have, asynchronous downloads, servers. And we've been testing a few from China that's spectacular. We just tested one from Europe that really tested well. And we've got really good servers for the home where I can do with my movies what I can do with my music. Just put them on a server, play them back when I want, whenever I want. And we actually dabbled with that in the early 2000s with Microsoft. The Media Center computer were doing that. They called it asynchronous streaming. Send down a movie to 1,000 packets, verify each packet. And at the end of the download, that might take 30 days, send you a key. And our original plan back then in building 50 at Microsoft was three options. A, watch it. B, watch it 30 days. C, own it. And you know that scenario hasn't played out for Microsoft yet, but the Xbox is pretty much where Media Center went. So yes, they're still in the game, but I don't see many people, volume manufacturers, doing downloading. We've got a few handful of high-end ones that are doing it. And what was a pleasant surprise for me in my normal everyday home cable system, I got an option to buy first-run movies. I'm being offered first-run movies right on my screen for my cable provider for anywhere between five and $20. So as much as we played with first run movies that were $35,000 boxes and $500 per movie, hey, theaters don't have a lot of competition right now because you know, we're the only game in town. They kind of closed. 
So this has been intriguing. Now, not all the movies I'm looking at are there, and I'm not buying them because they're 1080p, not HDR. So rather than watch a movie I really want to see, non-HDR, non-4K, streamed week, 1080p, I'm not buying it. Give it to me with all the features I want, I'll click right now and buy it. So that's at least a foot in the door to get home entertainment first level. So we're looking at some significant displacements in our lives. First of all, missed my life on the road. But last year, and I talked to Bob about this, I set a travel record, which is not a good one. I clocked 227,000 air miles in 2019. A personal record and not one I ever want to approach again. It was fun, it was exciting, and I got tired. And one of the things we looked at was being able to put part of what we do online. And a lot of what kept me busy was HDMI headaches, sync, delivery, distribution, failures, intermittent failures, and every manufacturer is plagued by it. So we did enough training with manufacturers with HDMI failures where CTA and CDA got together and just said, enough, we need a book. I said, what book? A guide, a standard. So the standard we hinted at before, CEB, CDA-CDA, CTA, so it's CDA and CTA working together. CEB 28 is HDMI design and verification. I am happy to tell you it's the most talented and engineering driven team I've ever had the pleasure to work with. Uh, I chaired a committee, which means I get a bunch of really smart people together with years of experience and watch the fur fly. And I've also put together an editor who I've worked with for years who edited Sound Division magazine, one of the early Perfect Vision guys, Rob Sabin, whose name you may know. So he's taking a lot of the technical babble that these engineers are writing and turning it into prose we can make a standard out of. So that's almost done. We're frighteningly close to being done. It'll then go out for review within the residential 10 group of CTA, then it goes off to ANSI. But this is a recipe, it's a rule book. How do you make HDMI work? And part of it's just a glossary because the language of HDMI between you know, assert, deassert, you know, repeaters, sinks, and you know, these things are not English for average people. It's all defined, all set up. So, and the reason we did that is a video standard that I wrote years ago, also chaired that committee with a little help from a bunch of friends. Uh, that one was home theater video design. It is sorely due for an upgrade, an update. So what did we want to cover? We wanted to cover HDR, high bandwidth, high frame rate, high bit rate, plus all the new audio features. And we couldn't start that one because the system failures we had in the field told me the hardest thing about calibrating and designing HDR systems is turning it on. So uh, Bob saw a story I wrote about three years ago. It was a ripoff of an old Zero Mostel thing where I said, a funny thing happened to my HDMI signal on the way to my TV set. You know, Zero Mostel did it better with a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. But you know, I thought it was a great title and I thought it was very funny. I don't think it's funny anymore. <laughs> right, and I know uh, Bob had some, you had questions around, uh, I believe, refresh rates and, and color. Go ahead, Bob. Yeah, um, uh, thank you, Arlen. Uh, before we get back to this, uh, the new standard, CEB28, um, I wanted to hit on a couple of other points that I thought were important during the webinar that you presented last week. Um, you had referred to a reference that you think the next wave of video performance will include higher refresh rates. And um, 
uh, you think that the gaming community will really drive that. Uh, do you think non-gamers will notice the improvements with refresh rates? And in turn, how does that, along with 8K and more expansive color gamuts, um, all play into uh, the next era of the home uh, video? Well, I think it's going to be as large an advance in sports as HDR and wide gamut have been in film. So we've rocked the market for home video. And strangely enough, after a lifetime of chasing motion picture performance in commercial theaters, there's a handful of HDR theaters per state, if that, and a mere few hundred around the world. And HDR right now is largely a home thing. Um, have either of you been to a Dolby Vision cinema? Put it on your wish list when so. the world opens <laughs> up again. Uh, these are custom designed six laser projectors, two of them, monsters. And you can find pictures of them online, but this is Christie's work up in Canada with Dolby engineers out in California. These are redefining the motion picture theater experience. Uh, we were taken to one of the early releases at the ISE show a few years back. Dolby took 300 people to a theater outside Amsterdam for a pre-release of the movie Deadpool. And I saw something I've never seen before that I'll never forget. You have never seen in a movie theater a scene that fades to black. You fade to gray in most theaters. The Dolby Vision projectors drive me nuts because they actually are driven by their signal and they turn off. So I saw Deadpool 50 feet wide at four to five times the brightness with better color than you see in regular theaters blasting you and then it went black. And then it came back on again and it actually made our pupils dilate. So um, I'm working with some laser projectors at home now and we're doing some things in dimming the lasers because the rise time on a laser is quite good. We can do interpolation of that, but Dolby's actually doing it with metadata. They're controlling the projectors. So the contrast they have in those theaters, the color they have, and with two monstrous projectors, it's dramatically brighter than any movie theater you've ever seen, and there's not enough of them. It's a statement product to show people what the future of cinema has been. And I've made it a mission to take my friends to these theaters. Uh, got a couple of people, one of the people on the call with us, you know, who was in the Vegas theater, and I thought he was going to put permanent marks on the armrest, gripping it and excited. This, this is dramatic. And these are the things we're getting at home now. So Dolby Vision's here at home. So Joel, plus in, terms home. Of, uh, in terms of some of you know, the dealers being able to deliver some of those things that we're getting in those higher end uh, movie, movie cinemas right now, which I, I have to admit the, the few movies that I've seen recently, I, you didn't find the, the video all that up to, up to snuff, but you know, how can integrators, what tools can they use to even come close to replicating those kinds of experiences in the home these days? And you know, there are obviously some really high-end projectors that help deliver that. Well, first thing I would say is content is king and high-end content comes two ways, on a disc or on a download. So if someone's putting together a very serious projector to cost like a fine car, don't be hesitant to tell them that they should upgrade from a stream to a disc or a download, buy the movie, 
spend a little more. And so many integrators are panic. You know, a guy's not going to spend $30 on a movie. It's a lot of money. Well, it's a lot of money to you. It's not a lot of money to a guy who spends $75,000 on a projector. You're feeding it low-grade fuel. Feed it a disc player or a download service. And you've got a couple of those going on. Um, we work with Kaleidoscape for one example. They're downloading disc quality movies and they're actually taking the mezzanine files, reauthoring them, doing a great job. And will they all look good? No, it's still content. It still gets lost in translation. But first thing is put something in the home in a reference video and audio configuration. I don't care if they watch it sometimes, but you've got to be able to give the guy the ability to show off the toy he just bought, because let's not get crazy about these exotic systems. They're toys, they're fun toys. Um, I'm in mourning right now because I came back from ISE to a two inch flood in my home, my theater's down. This is the last possible time I'd want to have my theater down because I've got time to use it, but my theater's down and I miss it terribly. But you know, if I'm bringing people over, I'm not putting up Netflix. There's a server in there and there's a disc player in there and they're going to get, you know, 100 meg per second video quality and really good audio quality. Of course, the only good thing about the theater being done right now, I've taken some heat for not seriously updating my audio, but none of the rugs are ripped out and the walls are changing. Uh, this ceiling is being drilled for more speakers and more wires being run. So I'm going to come out of this with a much better audio experience. The projector is as good as it gets, but playing with that laser projector, we talked about that. Uh, we're using interpolation to turn laser off on a home projector. So we normally have like a fixed amount of white to black level on a projector. We can move the black level down. I can't do what Dolby does by going to the movie and directing my projector, but the interpolation works really, really well. But let's go one step further. I mentioned that we're gonna do for sports what we did for home theater video. But uh, I've got more people who binge sports than they do watch a lot of movies. It's more than 50-50. Uh, we've been watching in America since the World's Fair in 1939, 60, pictures per second. So it's about due for an upgrade. So when we're going to go high frame rate, you've seen all sorts of you know, mediocre and negative impacts from supposedly high frame rate TVs that synthesize high frame rate, which you can't do. It's like trying to make immersive audio out of two channel. Yeah, you can light up all the speakers, but you're not going to make it sound like immersive audio. But when I have 120 picture per second capture of a tennis game, which I'm fortunate to have seen. Maybe, maybe unfortunate to have seen because now I can't watch tennis anymore. Because the ball is jaggedy. It's going like this. It's not smooth where 120 was like this. I've also had the misfortune to see a BBC demo of 300 pictures per second, which is the next wave after this system. Uh, I asked them why 300? I said, well, it unites the world because some of the world is 50, some of the world is 60. It's been that way since the 1930s. 300 works for everybody. So it doesn't really work for bandwidth. They go, that's not our problem. We're just a lab. We're making good things. So the 120 is a step along the way to better, but it's so much better than 60. Now, do you need it for a staid movie like The King's Speech? No, that's fine at 24. And the questions we get asked all the time, when are we going to stop having 24 content? Uh, when the next generations of people leave film school, they're still shooting 24. There's a look of film at 24. Is it romantic? Is it legacy? Yes. Is it good for sports? No, it's not for sports. It's for movies. And it's a look, and I don't see that going away in our lifetime, period. 
but I see 120 taking over in sports. And the tragedy for 120, the coming out party was going to be the Tokyo Olympics. And I've had the pleasure of holding in my hands, you know, a few of the 8K 120 cameras. And they're not as intimidating to hold as you would think. What is intimidating to hold is the bundle of cables coming out of the back of them, which you need an assistant for. But we'll see that later with the Olympics of 120. But uh, the gaming community is going to hit us first. Because the new PlayStation and a new Xbox, I've only seen one in demo so far. Um, I like racing games, actually, car nets. So give me you know, a good simulated racing game and uh, I'll lose time. The steering wheel and the pedals are in the garage right now. Until I get my new course, then they have to stay in the garage because they call to me from time to time. You know, you have problems in life. At five o'clock, a bottle of wine stops talking to me. But you know, uh, later in the evening, the steering wheel calls to me. One more lap. You can do better. It's in the garage. I have no time for that. But at 120, I can't wait for that. That's going to change gaming. Gamers are extremely sensitive to it. But anybody who watches baseball, football, soccer, whatever, when they see 120, they're not going to be sensitive to it. They're going to be insensitive to anything that's not 120. It's going to be, I don't want to watch the old, because this is a different type of resolution. Everything we've been talking resolution has been pixels this way and pixels this way. Let's call it spatial. And that's really important. To a point. It's important to the point where I can make really big screens and really small rooms normal rooms. In the old days with the 103-inch plasma, unless you were wealthy enough to have a big house, you couldn't own that because the pixels were in your face. Now I can put a 103 in my bedroom. I don't see pixels. That's basically yeah. it. Clearly, there's a, a lot of exciting stuff going on currently and on the horizon with video. Um, you know, but before we end here, can you tell us, uh, you know, something, some of the stuff that you have coming up? I know you had mentioned before, or you teased before about something happening um, in terms of some more integrator trainings and things that you have going on with Cedia, what can you tell us about that where integrators can expect to, you know, get more education coming up in the next several months? Let me touch on one small thing before that. We hinted that there's a video standard we're about to start writing because we're finishing the HDMI standard. There's also a CEB, Cedia, CTA, CEB 22 the audio standards being rewritten. And they were as far behind as we were, but I will tell you, I've talked to a couple of my friends from the audio side into joining that. The gene pool in the CEB 22 is rich. The talent pool they've got on that, that's almost done. So everyone who is hearing this, when the audio committee puts it together and it's available, of course it's free to CD members, so that's usually a good price. You need to have that in your pocket. And I'll tell you the talent pool there, retired Dolby people. I mean, some of the best designers of audio I've known for many, many years. They're all on that committee. So Gene Polaire is rich. Let's go back to 2019 and my 227,000 miles. It killed me and I said, okay. In November, we sat down with, you know, a couple of VPs at Cedia. And they said, can I have your people help us teach courses? Because I can't continue like this for the rest of my life. It's too many miles. I'll never see my kids. I'm never home. And they said, yeah, but uh, the first day of your course is really hard because they had a number of people take certification. We've now got a senior instructor in the UK about to have one in Australia. And I've got three certified here in the States ready to teach a course. The first day is the download of all the math, all the physics, the design of our calibration software is a little kludgy. It's not that user friendly. So the first day is the hardest part to teach. That's going to become an online class. 
It's going to be 11 modules done in conjunction with Cedia. We decided to do this in November, not knowing the zombie apocalypse was upon us, but we decided to do it in November because we needed to expand and I had no more hours and no more miles left to fly. So I've got really good talent there at Cedia, plus my own guys from time to time. So there'll be a level one course, there'll be 11 modules. You'll be able to take the hard part of the course in 15 minute modules on your phone, if you wish. Uh, they're all self-paced. They all are instant pass because there'll be a question after 15 minutes. If you get the question wrong, we'll give you the answer and you'll do it again. So it's not a test that you'll fail. It's a course that you will pass. And we'll give you the answers if you get them wrong. And then you'll understand why you got them wrong. So it is the toughest thing I've ever written. I'm used to talking my way through this over three days. I had to actually figure out what I was saying in my head and turn it into prose, which I'm not that good at. Thankfully, I've got really good editors here and I've got three of my top instructors editing it. And Cedia has, has the team that are taking the graphics I'm giving them, putting them together on screens. And I'll show that to Bob as soon as it's ready for prime time. We're still editing it right now, but this will be a online class. It's everything you need to know to get started in calibration. If you want to do it professionally with projectors, we'll still have hands-on courses. This is level one. The combined two and three will be with the instructors in the field. But you'll walk in and we've had for years, people say, I want more hands-on. I don't want to get a lecture. I said, well, sometimes you have to understand what the target is. So you have to know about the good old Lord Kelvin and uh, Max Planck and some of the things in the physics and the algebraic equations behind video encoding are boring as hell, but you have to know their algebra. The good thing is your laptop will do the algebra. You know, I'm not very good at that algebra, but my laptop is. You have to understand what's going on. All that will be ready. So when you go into the level two and three classes, you'll sit down and all hands on immediately because you'll have done everything you need to get to the button pressing stage online. So this is the hardest thing I've ever done. And because of the amount of help I've got writing it, it's the best work I've done. This is not just me. It's me and my top guys. And uh, this will hopefully go live June 1st. So it's really imminent. And it'll be Cedia slash ISF online level one. And it's the best level one I've ever taught because I never have enough time on day one to cover everything I want on level one. And as an instructor, I could tell you, you learn when you get asked a question that you don't know the answer to. And between the talented CDA guys, the post-production guys, and the manufacturers coming in, I've been stumped a lot. And there's nothing wrong with that. No one knows everything. It just means I have to give them an answer tomorrow. Sometimes I have to call someone. So all the questions that stumped me are answered in this because I remember them all. And the course got better because I was asked questions that, you know, maybe I didn't look at carefully because we talk about the international telecommunications, the ITU. It's actually the ITU-R. So I had someone from Russia come to you and go, what's the R? It was part of CCIR, but we'll talk about that. It'll be in level one, but a lot of the questions that we got were just great questions. They stumped me. All those answers are now in that. So that's eminent. I've got 10 modules written. I'm on the 11th out of 11 as we speak. I hope to finish it by the end of next week off the CDF for animation it goes and we'll have it in the can. So I'm going to miss having the Olympics, but uh, when you see sports in 120 guys, you won't want to go back. It's another one of those HD moments where you go, aha, and it's like HD and UHD and 4K and wide gamut and HDR, it's going to come in little doses and tease you. And the first time you see a few things. Now, HDR done right is amazing. 
HDR done in a mediocre fashion is like every other format, mediocre. So uh, on Netflix, I've seen some great stuff. On Amazon, I've seen some great stuff. And on some discs that I bought, I stopped buying discs unless someone I know reviews them. I don't want to have a $30 disc sitting on a shelf that I'm afraid to show someone. And I don't want to throw it away and I can't return it. So unless someone gives me a review and I know it's a good looking disc, I don't buy it. Let someone else buy it. But uh, they've been some great looking discs lately too. So but not all of them. So we have to be discriminating. But I've bought bottles of wine to disappoint me. I've had meals in restaurants that disappoint me. These are all labor intensive items. So uh, I will say at five o'clock now, um, with the lockdown, I think wine consumption is up. My budget for wine has been expanded because we need it. And uh, my wife will come over to me and say, it's five o'clock, stop working. Open this bottle. And uh, she picks good ones. <laughs> Great. Well, Joel, we'll have to have you on again sometime for uh, some, some demo picks and some wine picks. But, uh, you know, we really appreciate you sharing your insights with us today. And we'll look forward to the, the CDM modules and having, you know, hearing from integrators who go through those courses. So Joel Silver from the Imaging Science Foundation. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity to speak. I appreciate it. Take care, guys. Be safe. Cool, thank be well. you.